So capital leases under the current standard are already recognized on the balance sheet as liabilities. The ones that have not been recognized as liabilities are operating leases. So those operating leases, and the thought process behind that is it's an obligation of an entity. From Ray and Associates Studio, this is Unsuitable, a management and financial services podcast for entrepreneurs, tenured business leaders, and others who are ready to look beyond the suit and tie culture for meaningful, measurable results. I'm Doug Hauser. On this weekly podcast, thought leaders and business professionals break down complicated and mundane topics and give you the tips and insight you actually need to grow your business. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button so you don't miss future episodes. And if you want access to even more information, show notes, and exclusive content, visit our website at www.raycpa.com slash podcast and sign up for updates. In less than a year, private companies will be required to adopt the new accounting standard for leases. This means those who follow generally accepted accounting principles and carry leases are in for some pretty big changes. Jim Suddy, a principal on Ray's Lease Accounting Task Force, is here to provide some much-needed insight into what this new standard means and how to start preparing. Welcome to Unsuitable, Jim. Thanks, Doug. Thanks for being on today. I know we we got a little reprieve with the lease accounting standard, right? It was uh, pushed back due to uh, to COVID in terms of the implementation for private companies. Now, as I understand it, correct, uh, though, we are going to go live for for any fiscal year that ends after 12-15-21. It's, it's required. Is that correct? Well, it, it's for years beginning after 12-15-21. Right. So essentially for, for 2022, if you're a calendar year. And there have been many reprieves. Uh, this is, so the Financial Accounting Standards Board, which, or FASB, as most of us in the, uh, in the profession call it, has been threatening to do this for a little over 10 years now. They started this talk back in 2010, believe it or not, as sort of a, a call harmonic convergence with international standards. Yeah. So, and, and yes, as you said, it's, it's, uh, we got a reprieve and for a couple of different reasons. One was COVID. Two was they had come out with a couple of other significant changes in standards, uh, one being revenue recognition. Right. And so companies were kind of, we had pushback from a lot of companies that said, boy, we can't implement these all at the same time. Sure. And we, and we pushed one of them back. And so leases was, uh, was the lucky winner and got pushed back another, another year. Yeah. And it's also been already implemented for publicly traded companies uh, for a couple of years now. So there was some additional chance to see sort of the impact and what it did in terms of reporting and, and all of that as it relates to public companies, right? Right. And there's been, we've seen some uh, not so pleasant uh, feedback from public companies, uh, or some of them anyway, meaning that it has been a lot more expensive uh, and there's a lot more time con- uh, consumed in accounting for leases under this new standard. So private companies are going to have even more fun because in many cases, they lack the, I'll say, sophistication uh, sure. that a public company or, or even personnel that a public company would have. Right. And so let's talk about the genesis of this. I mean, initially, 
the driver of this was sort of to recognize these quote unquote off balance sheet liabilities and try to get some clarity around those obligations. Is that was that sort of the the genesis of of what we were trying to do here? Yes. Uh, so. Under the current standards, there are two different types of leases. Uh, One is a capital lease and one is an operating lease. So capital leases under the current standard are already recognized on the balance sheet as liabilities. The ones that have not been recognized as liabilities are operating leases. Right. So those operating leases and and, and the the thought process behind that is it's an obligation of, of an entity. So if I'm locked in to make payments for a certain amount of time, the a FASB concept would say that, well, that's really a liability and it should yeah. be reported on the balance sheet. Yeah. And at this point right now, of course, we disclose those typically with a you know footnote disclosure, but the, the thought being, hey, uh, I know at, at least with a large number of uh, publicly traded companies, there was you know, always a big push to to get those off balance sheet, make those operating leases rather than capital leases where they weren't recognized. It certainly impacts financial ratios and all those things, which we'll we'll get into. But for your typical owner managed, you know, privately held business that that's our client base and who we deal with and, and our audience here, you know, what is what does this mean to them? I mean, you know, they they look at it like, well, okay, how, how is this any different? Yeah, I, I already know I have these obligations. Now you're telling me, okay, I've got to recognize them on my financials, but who cares? You know, why, sh- why should I care if I'm, if I'm just a, a privately held business, right? Well, yeah, you, you should care because it is going to have a significant impact and in particular on your balance sheet with operating leases because what it'll do is You'll be required again if this is under GAAP or general accepted accounting principles. You'll be required to book a liability for the future payment stream of an operating lease. And that future payment stream uh, includes what you're locked in for already, as well as likely options to extend. You know, often you, you have leases where you'll have an option to renew a lease, uh, you know, and, and um, so those likely extension options are also included in the determination of, of the payment stream. Right. And in turn, the determination of the liability that's going to go on the balance sheet. Yeah. And there's this concept that, that we really have to look at as a right of use asset, correct? That's the, the term. So talk a little bit about what that means, you know, when I say, okay, right of use asset and trying to, to recognize that. Sure. Once I book the, the liability, there's for every, every credit, there's got to be a debit. So that debit is this right of use as, asset that you mentioned, Doug. And a right of use asset is basically, I have the right to use a specific asset over the term of that lease. Um, so that that is what this this quote unquote right of use asset is. Yeah, and then you've got, you know, some people trying to think ahead. I know I've heard this uh, in, in a few different uh, construction industry meetings. Okay, well, what if I just enter into you know, say, 
uh, an 11-month lease or something for, for my building. But you know, even though the quote-unquote or wink-wink intent is I'm probably going to stay here longer, but ah, you know, it's, we're just going to sign 11 month lease. So there's some things I know people have talked about to try to get around it, but really you can't because then you look at it like, well, is there intent really to leave that building, you know, in 11 months, you know, probably not. Right. So you can't necessarily game the system that way. Is that correct? Sure. There, there are varying schools of thought and I don't know that anybody really, really has nailed it down. And a couple of different concepts here, Doug. The one, you, if you have a sh- true short-term lease, those do not be, need to be booked on, on the balance sheet. So 12 months or less, if it's truly a short-term and I'm only going to lease an asset for 12 months, right. I don't need to put a liability on my balance sheet. The other thing that you would refer to is you know, oftentimes entities will set up, a, a, for example, a real estate entity. Mm-hmm. And so the operating company will lease its facilities from the real estate entity. And oftentimes, again, they either have a, a month-to-month lease or no lease agreement at all. And so what we're looking at here is form over substance. Right. And so the substance is, well, yeah, I might have a month-to-month lease, but I really, I'm probably going to stay in my own building uh, for more than a year. Right. So there's there's some of the art and science uh, involved in this and figuring out, okay, well, what's how long do I really intend to stay in this building? What is the economic life of that building? So there, right. there are a lot of, like I said, there's there's some artwork to this. Um, yeah. So you really have to determine what your what your true intent is uh, in that scenario. Yeah. And it, it, as you said, it's certainly different. If I, if I lease a piece of equipment for, for a month and, and, you know, with the full intent, I'm going to use it on a job or whatever and turn it back in. I mean, that, that's fine. You know, no, no issue with something like that. It's, it's obviously easily identified and, and all of that, but you've got this other concept too of embedded leases that could be contained within other agreements. And, you know, it's, it's a, a fair amount of work to try to really go through those and glean, okay, what's a lease, what's not, you know, where do we have to, to take a look at things? So talk a little bit about some of those examples and, and, sure. and where you might you see. May have a, you may have a, a service contract and as you had mentioned, embedded leases. So a, a document does not have to say lease at the top of it in order to be a lease under this standard. Um, so it is going to take some analysis to determine what truly is a lease, and it may or may not be called a lease. But you know, again, we're, we're talking about form over substance. Um, so in reality, you may have companies may be surprised that they have more leases than they initially thought. Yeah, uh, you know, for example, I think of companies that you know maybe they have a fleet of vehicles that they use for for employees or or things like that that typically they've not recognized because they've turned those over they've been kind of operating lease, leases or as you said maybe under some service type of agreement uh, but really in essence if you look at the the form they may in fact qualify under this right of use asset yeah that that's that's a great example Doug the vehicles if i'm locked into a vehicle lease for you know, let's say three years, I really do have 
a right of use asset there and I have a liability. Yeah. Um, so again, that, that may be a surprise to some people um, that, oh my gosh, I've got to put this on my balance sheet now, um, where previously it was just kind of disclosed, not kind of, kind of, it was disclosed in the notes to financial statements. You know, I've got this lease commitment, right. um, but it wasn't really stated as, as, a, as a true liability. Yeah. Whereas now under the new standard, it will be. And that's a thing too that, that we're seeing. So if you think about it from an accounting perspective, as you mentioned, you put the asset on the books, you put the liability on the books. So the thing that it can do, however, is throw off, say, a, a debt to worth measurement uh, because all of a sudden now your debt is higher and your net worth hasn't changed. Uh, it can also impact debt service coverage and and some of these financial covenants. And for most privately held companies, I know in my, go back to my banking career as well, I mean, it's not something that was really always that closely paid attention to in terms of the specific definitions uh, therein, but, you know, you've, you've got to really be careful with this, right? Sure. And, and there may be even restrictions on new asset purchases within oh, yeah. a, a financing agreement. Good um, point. Yeah. Or, you know, a debt agreement. And so, are, or are banks going to consider this a an acquisition asset acquisition that falls you know throw somebody into a, a covenant violation? So that's why it's important, I think, for companies uh, to to have conversations early. And and it's 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 getting late early around here um, because <laughs> it, we are we're getting close to implementing this. And so I think most banks. I would hope anyway, at least the ones I've talked to, are, they're aware of the standard, but may not be fully aware of all of the impacts it may have. And right. you mentioned certain ratios, uh, again, current ratios, where you've got, you book a liability, part of that is current. Yeah. Well, you don't have a current asset to offset that. You've got a right, right. use asset, which is not current. Yeah. Uh, I think I saw an article the other day, a lot of gotcha moments. Uh, so right. That's, and uh, so... I think there will be some surprises. Uh, so it's going to take a significant amount of effort in some cases to make sure that these are accounted for correctly. Yeah. And that's the thing we want to make sure, you know, you, again, you get us involved, you know, you get, get your CPA involved, get your bank involved and, and start thinking about, okay, what's the potential impact and, and can we, you know, amend the agreement such that we're not uh, having any unintended consequences. Cause I think, you know, that's, that's what we want to, obviously uh, avoid here. So, Jim, you talked a little bit about some of what public companies have seen in terms of cost and, and going through and trying to understand and categorize all this stuff. Is there, what are we doing as, as a firm? Are we investing in software to help us analyze this? What, what are some of the initiatives that you're seeing as part of our task force? Yes, uh, we... Um have contracted with a, a company to use their software. And it is, it's a cloud-based solution. And it is accessible by both our clients and us. Uh, so some, some clients may have a level of sophistication that, that would allow them to be able to do this on their own. And this software is very user-friendly. I don't know if I'm allowed to use the name or not, but... Um, 
it will calculate the lease liability and calculate at least the numeric disclosures for the lease agreements. That's awesome. Yeah. So it, it, it sort of simplifies that, that process rather than trying to essentially manually uh, analyze all of these. Uh, right. And, and that, that software has also has, has gone through a um, service organization controls called an audit, but it's an audit. Yeah. As well as being tested thoroughly, um, so it, it's it's much more um, beneficial. And this is my opinion to use a software like that as opposed to using the an Excel spreadsheet, which has potential for more potential for human error or input error. So. Sure. Yeah. So it's it's I think incumbent once you once you get started with this process do it right up front because that will make it more efficient and decrease your cost in the long run if you, you know, obviously keep this up and do it year after year and deal with your acquisitions and dispositions and all of those things. So you don't want to make a mess of it before you get started in other words. (laughs) Right. We've seen that too many times, right? (laughs) Far too many. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're in, the shoes of an owner of a company, what, what should they be doing now to start, you know, thinking about this? So it's going to be in essence, effective for them, you know, next year, but you want to have, you know, you want to take some steps before then you don't want to wait. Correct. Right. Um, you certainly don't want to wait, certainly not any longer. So get an inventory of your, certainly your, your lease agreements and other agreements that you think might have a lease component or non-lease component. Talk with your CPA. Talk with your lenders uh, to make sure that they understand the potential impact this may have on your financial statements. This is going to take some work. Now, everything under generally accepted accounting principles is subject to a materiality threshold. Uh, so there may be many things that fall under that materiality threshold, like a you may have a coffee maker uh, that right. technically is a lease or a service contract. You may have copiers that you know are fall below that materiality threshold, but all those things need to be taken into consideration. Sure. So it, again, it's it's you need to start now talking again with lenders and most definitely with um, with your CPA. Yep. Because everybody's going to need to be involved and be on the same page in order to kind of analyze agreements. And uh, as you said, do it right from the start, as opposed to having to go back and fix things. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and, and it's something to think about, too, even if you're not required to provide a review or an audit to a third party, uh, still many of those third party financial disclosures require that you provide financial statements that are. Uh, in accordance with GAAP. So even if those are internal numbers or, or whatever the case might be, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll want to be on top of this. So again, important to understand all of those, those agreements and what, what your requirements are. So. And, and you may see, just as an aside, you might, you might see people adopting other financial reporting frameworks to kind of, to get out of this. Eh, that's probably a harsh term to say, get out of it, but yeah, to, maybe avoid some of those hassles and uh, yeah. some, avoid some of the cost of, of doing this. Yeah. It, it will be interesting to see what, um, 
some of the other third parties require in terms of you know that as as we move forward. I, I would suspect they'll they'll still want that presented. I know, you know, when you do a lot of that financial analysis, they, they would include those operating lease payments anyway in, in doing cash mm-hmm. flow analysis and and all those things. So, you know, in some ways uh, it ultimately gets us, I think, more transparency and clarity makes it easier, but uh, there's just a period of adjustment like with anything. Agreed. And, and, and Doug, you know, being in the, uh, in the banking world for a while, <laughs> Most of those agreements say gap, right? Whether or not a no offense intended, but whether or not a banker know, really knows what gap means, right? I know they know what gap means, but but if they know the the impact yeah. of that, you may see from time to time uh, banks might, and I've seen it before. Uh, they have accepted some other reporting framework other than gap, so it can it can happen. Yeah. It's it's rare, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> right. uh, well, thanks, Jim. It's uh, great to improve our understanding of this, um, you know, upcoming uh, change in terms of lease accounting standard. And I'm sure we'll be hearing more and certainly getting more information out to our client base. And uh, as always, feel free to reach out to our experts like Jim with with any questions. So thanks for being on with us. Thank you. Absolutely. And if uh, you want more business tips and insight or to hear previous episodes of Unsuitable, please visit our podcast page at www.raycpa.com slash podcast. And while you're there, sign up for exclusive content and show notes. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Be sure to subscribe to Unsuitable on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to us right now, including YouTube. I'm Doug Hauser. Join us next week for another unsuitable interview from an industry professional. The views expressed on Unsuitable on Ray Radio are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Ray and Associates. The podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to replace the professional advice you would receive elsewhere. Consult with a trusted advisor about your unique situation so they can expertly guide you to the best solution for your specific circumstance.